Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, pregnancy-focused chiropractor, Dr. Elliot Berlin. My guest today is a birth doula, childbirth educator, spinning baby certified parent educator, mom to five kids, and host of the Natural Birth Podcast, Rachel Manns. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thanks for having me. How did you even find a minute to talk to me? That is a really good question. <laughs> <laughs> Holy moly, your hands are full. I thought I was busy. Hey, you know, we just go with the flow over here and we just make it work as best as we can. Uh, okay, let's start at the beginning. Where are you from originally? I am from like the St. Louis, Missouri area, but actually in a suburb of St. Louis on the Illinois side. Oh, so not Missouri. Right. Okay. I know it's kind of weird. It is kind of weird, but you know. You explained it well. And where are you now? We are still in that same area. Oh, you haven't migrated very far. Nope. Okay. And as I mentioned in the intro, you do a lot of birthy stuff. For I one do. thing, you're a birth doula, you're a birth educator, you do spinning babies, which I'd love to learn more about. You birth a bunch of kids and you have the birth podcast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is birth something that always stuck out as what you wanted your life to be surrounded with? That's actually a really good question. And I probably have to say no, because up until I was an adult, I didn't even want to birth my own children. I wanted to adopt. Oh, really? What's specifically behind that? Is Was it just the whole, like, how is that going to work? Or um, Jesus. Or maybe just God and and just feeling that calling. And I really liked the movie Annie as a child. Oh. So maybe that motivated it. Oh, interesting. Okay. And then when did things change? Probably when I met my husband. He wanted biological kids. I wasn't totally against it, but I watched some movie while we were dating and it made me somehow, I won't tell the whole story, but it made me want biological children too. So. Okay. And you did it. And we did it. And we have both now. So we have birth children and adopted children. Amazing. So you kind of fulfilled both parts of that dream. Yep. Before we get into your kids, I mean, interesting that you didn't even want to birth kids, but now your whole life is like birth oriented. Isn't that crazy? That happen? Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know if I could pinpoint exactly how that happened, but I remember when we were pregnant with our first child and we were some of the first of our friends to be pregnant, but we did have one other couple that was pregnant about six weeks ahead of me. And she was really into the idea of having a natural birth. And my mom had natural births. My mom always talked about how she had natural births. So I think the combination between my mom having natural births and my friend being into that idea, I just started down a rabbit hole and I started researching natural birth and researching all my options. And, oh, man, I thought I knew it all with my first birth. <laughs> turns out oh, I didn't. Okay, um, you thought. You thought. <laughs> turns out I didn't. But mm -hmm. I think that's where it kind of spiraled is once I started doing that research for my first pregnancy, then I spiraled into more and more information. Uh, and then one day someone said, you should be a doula. And I said, a what? <laughs> <laughs> and they explained it. And I'm like, I should be a doula. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. And here you are. You're a doula. Yeah. So with your first baby, how did you meet your partner? We met at a young adults group through church. And that's kind of a fun story. I worked in a bank 
and there was this guy who would come in and one day he walked out and I looked at my fellow bank tellers and I was only 17. I was the youngest one there. I looked at the bank tellers and I'm like, man, he was cute. So the next time he walked in, they all like flocked to the back and made me wait on him. (laughs) And I did. And I like sheepishly was like, oh, do you have a girlfriend? And he was like, yeah, I do. But he, this is not my husband. This is someone I flirted with, but he invited me to the young adults group. And at that young adults group is where I met my husband. Oh, no kidding. Okay. Yeah. Match made in banking heaven. I guess so. Uh, okay. So that's how you met. And mm-hmm. so you were 17 when you met? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. He's a few years older than me, but yeah. Okay. And did the relationship progress at a fast pace? Um. He drove me nuts, actually. So, <laughs> oh, so, the, so it was like you've been married for a while. Yeah. Um. No, the first time I met him at the young adults group was a Valentine's Day, what they called a stoplight party. So if you were taken, you wore red. If it was complicated, you wore yellow. And if you were single, you wore green. <laughs> That's cute. So it was kind of cute. So we were both in green, but I was very uninterested. He was driving me crazy. I thought he was really annoying. But somehow he talked me into what I thought was just hanging out. And so we were hanging out by the end of the whole thing. It had turned into a date and we just kind of took off from there. We were engaged like just about a year later and married 10 months after that. Wow. So you went in green. It sounded like you came out sort of yellow. Yeah. (laughs) I left the party yellow, I guess. Yeah. And then before you know it, hot red. (laughs) Yep. And then was it during the dating that you already were talking about kids? I don't remember. That was so long ago. So forever ago. I just Um, wonder. It's been a while. Yeah, I just wondered because again, you didn't want biological kids. So I wonder if that's something that came up earlier or you know before you were deeper in the relationship. We were definitely still dating. I think it was probably at least several months into the relationship, probably. Hmm. All right, and then you got married. Even though you decided to have biological kids, was that still part of your mind frame? I'm going to do both. Yes. Okay. And mm-hmm. was it both of you on the same page with that? He was. Okay. Um, so well, he match. still is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I convinced I hope so him. Now. <laughs> I convinced him. Yeah. And did you go with a pregnancy first? We did. We had pregnancy first. Our first was a surprise. So that was interesting, but good. And then we had our second biological child. And it was when he was maybe four that we decided to start becoming foster parents to adopt through foster care. Okay. So with your first is when you started to do all the research. Yes. And you thought you knew everything. What did you find out? What was your plan for birth? So I was 20 years old, thought I knew everything or thought I knew enough, had a supportive midwife, had planned to go in, have a natural birth. I was denying a lot of the standard care procedures for myself and for the newborn. And my midwife was completely on board with that. We had talked about it in depth. You just elaborate. What do you mean by standard care things at birth? Oh, let me think. Like I denied the dating ultrasound, the eight-week ultrasound. I didn't want that. I denied that. Um, I did get a 20-week. That's the only one I had. I wouldn't have any others. Let's see what else. I was denying some of the standard procedures that they offer you, like the Tdap and whatever. I don't even remember. I do remember, but I don't want to go into all of that. Um, (laughs) And what was motivating them? I don't totally remember. I just remember thinking, I don't need that. 
and I had researched it and I had talked to people about it. And I was just like, I really just, I guess maybe instinct, mama instinct, intuition, just for myself. I was like, I just don't believe that I need these things. And you had a midwife, but at a hospital? Yes. Okay. And midwife was on board with your choices. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. And then for birth, when you said you wanted a natural birth, does that mean vaginal? Does that mean unmedicated? What does that mean I, for you? I wanted no interventions. Okay. Although okay. I will say at the time, I did not consider a membrane sweep to be an intervention. So I did opt for a membrane sweep in a visit and I chose that. It wasn't forced on me. And then the only other, I guess, intervention I would say I really had would have been, I did let them break my water at one point because I thought I knew everything, but I didn't, <laughs> uh -huh. um, but it turned out really well. I didn't want anything. So I didn't want any pain meds. I didn't want an epidural. I didn't want to be stuck in the bed. I wanted to be able to move around and obviously have a vaginal birth. Yeah. Okay. So if you had a membrane sweep, was that past your due date or approaching your due date? That was at 38 weeks. Oh. Yeah. So I would never recommend that to somebody unless they were approaching a medical induction for some serious reason. I don't recommend that ever as a doula, but at the time, that's what I chose. Sure. Okay. And then did your labor start spontaneously? After that, yeah. So it started the next day, the next morning. And what was it like for you? Oh, with the first one, I was emotional because I didn't know what was going on. You know, typical first mom, feeling overwhelmed, having contractions, couldn't get a hold of my midwife right away. She had given me her pager number and I tried to pager and then I was crying because I was like, I don't know how to use a pager. <laughs> um, Who's with you? I think at that moment... I think I was by myself, but I had been talking to my husband. He did end up coming home. Oh, that guy from the party. Yeah, the guy from the party. <laughs> yeah. The one that drove me nuts. Right. Um, and yeah, I did get a hold of her. I talked to her. She calmed me down. Maybe five hours later, I went into the hospital and I had my son, I don't know, five hours after that. Oh, wow. So things moved pretty swiftly. For a first time labor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, you said you learned a lot. Let's take a little break. When we come back, we'll find out what you learned so we can learn too. <laughs> I have an incredible offer for you for my friends at Needed. An astounding 95% of women aren't meeting their omega-3 needs. Omega-3 fatty acids, especially DHA and EPA, are crucial for both mother and baby. They support brain and eye health, maternal mood, immunity, and much more. But it can be hard to get enough omega-3 from diet alone, especially during pregnancy when many people are averse to eating fish. And if you've ever taken a fish oil pill, you know just how unpleasant that can be. That's why I'm excited to share that my friends at Needed have have revolutionized the omega-3 supplement with two different options designed specifically for mamas. An omega-3 powder that blends into smoothies and a pill option that tastes like fresh citrusy bergamot. Both are sustainably sourced from vegan algae, not fish. Both are great options for nausea and sensitive prone mamas. Needed's Omega-3 powder is delivered in liposomes, nature's very cool way of protecting and delivering Omega-3 just like in breast milk. Needed's Omega-3 is clinically proven to be five times better absorbed than fish oil pills. 
The powder is mild tasting and it pairs great with Needed's prenatal multi-powder and collagen protein powder in a daily smoothie. If powder isn't your thing, Needed's got you covered with those omega-3 plus capsules, which have a pleasant citrus flavor. Needed is sharing an awesome pre-order discount just for my listeners. Buy two, get one free on either omega-3 option, powder or capsules. You can stock up on either one or try them both. With this exclusive discount, use code Code three Berlin, the number three Berlin at thisisneeded.com. Put three omega threes in your cart. Use the code number three Berlin at thisisneeded.com. Buy two, get one free. Welcome back. We're talking to Rachel Mance. Okay, so you go from not wanting any biological babies to agreeing and then a surprise pregnancy mm-hmm. and some surprises along the way. And then you have your birth. But then you said, I learned a lot from the experience. What kind of things did you learn? Um, I learned that just because your care provider is on board doesn't mean that as soon as they leave, your hospital staff will be on board. Oh, that kind of learning. That kind of learning. Yeah. I learned what transition was in labor. Oh, So thought I over here, thought I knew it all, thought I had it under control, hit transition, lose my mind, have no idea what's going on learned about that so the hard way and still didn't want medication while you were having that lesson so at that point i actually had asked for an epidural and i did have iv fluids but i remember being in the bed this was right after she broke my water anyway like it hit me like a ton of bricks i was told an hour per centimeter and an hour pushing that's what the nurse told me which i now know is not true at all. So I'm thinking I've got five, six hours left of this. So I asked for an epidural and about 30 minutes later, I don't even know how long I remember saying, when am I getting my epidural? And there looked at me with this look of panic on her face. And she was like, oh, honey, you're not like your midwife's on her way back. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, I'd asked for it, but then I had the baby before I was even able to get it. So. Hmm. So with everything that you learned from your first experience first of all was your second one you said is also biological was that yes he was planned i left my first birth swearing up and down i was not having another biological child okay but that's not the first time yeah (laughs) um but my husband was instantly like oh i really want a second one and i'm like yeah you didn't just push him out so Ah, but somehow he convinced you again he did i just remember one day sitting there thinking or i said out loud I looked at him and I said, let's do this now before I change my mind. Oh, wow. Okay. I like the way you move. Yeah. So we were pregnant very quickly after that. Taking into account what you learned from your first experience, did you do things differently? I did. I had the same midwife because I adored her. And she suggested I use the other hospital that she attended birds at. And she had a tub there. So she suggested I use the tub and have a water birth. And I did. Oh, how was that in comparison? Amazing. What did you like about it? First of all, I knew what was going on. I knew what my body was going through. So I think that helped a lot. But the birth itself, even though it was in a hospital, it was set up so much more like a birth center where the nurses, you know, I got there, they did the standard kind of hospital stuff, but they did it quickly. They had the tub, they filled up the tub for me. I got in the tub. 
And I mean, I just felt so much better getting in the tub. And then recovery was so much better too. And I think part of that's just kind of knowing what to expect, but part of it was just having a less stressful birth in the first place. Mm. Where along the line here did you start to do things like do the work and childbirth educator? So that would have been, so my second biological child would have been maybe around three years old when I started getting into that kind of stuff, getting into the work I do now. And had you sworn off having another biological child again? Um, oh, I had okay. definitely had sworn it off and we're actively preventing, but I now have a three-year-old. So she just turned three, a oh. biological three-year-old. Happy birthday. Yeah, but, thank um, you. <laughs> so in between you adopted through the foster care program, right? Yes. What was that experience like for you? A mess. Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> Foster care is hard, guys. I mean, it's worth it. It's so good. And especially if you feel really driven or called to do that, you should definitely do that work. But it is hard. It's a lot of rules, a lot of appointments, a lot of people just checking in on everything you do, a lot of sadness, you know, a lot of struggle just when kids come in and out of your home and hearing different stories. It's hard. But if you remember, I said earlier in the episode that Annie was my favorite movie as a child. And out of foster care, we adopted a little curly redhead. Oh, you're kidding. Not <laughs> kidding at all. It was totally a fluke. I did not know what she looked like when we accepted that placement. Um, and I just remember the first time I saw her in my head, I was just having this party of like, oh my gosh, she has curly red hair. That's crazy. Wow. You know, it seems to me like and I don't know enough about the whole program for fostering and adoption, but it seems to me that with fostering humans, you're trying to get them back to their family. Yes, that if, is the ultimate goal. The primary goal. And then sometimes it's not possible and then adoption happens. Yes. Okay. So how old was your curly redhead when you met? We brought her into our home shortly before she turned five. So she was four. Okay. As a foster? Yes. Okay. And then how long before you realized this could be adoption? So we originally accepted her. There's what's called respite care. And so that's like a temporary placement where you just take them for like a week while the family is out of town. Okay. So that was the first time we met her. We met her first for the respite placement. So we had taken her for a week and then she went back to the other foster family so that's when we met her. And then it was maybe a month later where she was moved back in with us permanently because the previous family was not wanting to adopt, pursue adoption, but they knew we were and we had a previous relationship. Oh. So that's when she moved in with us and we knew that it would likely lead to adoption. How did the other kids take? Because seemingly the natural order of things is the one that comes in is the youngest. Yeah. So that's the smart way to do it. And that's not how we did it. <laughs> so the child that was entering our home fit right in between our two biological children. Mm -hmm. So the oldest was still the oldest and the youngest was still the youngest, <laughs> but the newest was not the youngest. Was not the youngest. Right. Yeah. It was good overall. I mean, obviously there was a learning curve, but it was good. Right. And so if there was somebody pursuing fostering I know you said it's really hard 
Are there things that someone can do to learn more or to get a sense of what it might be like before, you know, jumping in? Because my understanding is that there's a lot of kids that need good homes right now. There really are. There's so many. There are some things you can do. So just like birth, you can't really know what it's going to be like before you go through it. You can't really know what it's truly going to be like before you go through it, but you can always reach out to your local child protective services agency and just ask them for more information. In a lot of areas, like in the area we live in, there's a huge foster parent support group that is run through churches, but you don't have to be a Christian to use their services. It's just run through a church, a series of set of churches, and they're really great. They do classes. For new foster parents or for people thinking about foster care, they have support group nights. They have all kinds of resources. So a lot of areas have that available. Not all areas, but that can be a good way if your area has something like that to reach out and talk to them about that too. That sounds like it'll be a great resource. Yeah, it helped a lot. (laughs) Okay, and then you had sworn off having any more biological children, and now you had three children in the home. Yes. But then you had another biological child. Yeah. So we were still foster parents. We had gone through several placements because I had wanted a fourth. I always wanted a fourth, but I wanted to adopt our fourth. And then we were pregnant and God was like, mm, no, you're going to have a fourth. And so that was a big surprise oh, another for me. Surprise. This was another surprise. I sometimes hesitate to say this because I know some people struggle with fertility and that's really hard, but like, I did not want to be pregnant. I cried for like nine weeks. You know, we do quite a bit of fertility work and I've definitely seen people crying equally hard who are not pregnant that want to be and people who are pregnant that don't want to be. And they're just totally different challenges, but both very intense. Yeah, it was a big shock because like I said, we were actively preventing But after I calmed down from morning sickness, I also calmed down (laughs) from the emotional struggle of being pregnant again. And the one thing that I just kept reminding myself, number one, that children are a blessing, but two, so the two things was that I get to have my home birth this time. Oh, and how did that go? That was crazy because I had a precipitous birth. So I had my baby very quickly. (laughs) Anybody make it? Was anybody supposed to make it? My husband made it by five minutes and the neighbor came in to take pictures. Oh, wow. Was <laughs> and there, my children. <laughs> was there supposed to be a midwife? Yes. And doulas. Oh, so they just came later? After the baby. After, yeah, they just came after, after the, the baby was born. Oh, <laughs> uh, was that scary for you at all? No. You felt confident? Yeah, but I'm a doula. Yeah, I don't know, but you're the one in the hot seat with no doula around <laughs> Yeah. So I have to be honest, I actually toyed with the idea of having an unassisted birth because I'm a doula, because I've had two natural births before, because my previous birth was quick also, not this quick, but was quick. And I just wondered if I would even have time to have a midwife team make it. And I really, truly, I chose the midwife route because I wanted postpartum care. Ah, interesting. When you say precipitous, like how long from start to finish? Like at 10.30 a.m., I had a little bit of pink on my toilet paper, but I was not contracting, and I had my baby at 1.08. So 10.30 a.m., sorry, 10.30 a.m., little bit of pink, had her at 1.08 p.m., so like two and a half hours later. Very, very quick. Okay. Yeah. And then 
Did you swear off having more biological children? Yes, we are definitely not having any more biological children. All right, so we'll see if I have a follow-up podcast with you in a year yeah. or so. Um, but you did adopt another. Yeah. How was that experience compared to the other adoption experience? Interesting. So it's a story a little bit. Our fifth child was actually also kind of our third child because she was our very first foster care placement. Oh, how she old was she then? She was 13 then. Okay. And the goal was to get her back to her family, which yes. you did? Yep. She went home to her biological family and she stayed there until she turned 18 and she would sneak contact with us whenever she could. Her biological family did not allow it, but every once in a while she'd be able to contact us. And then when she turned 18, she said, come get me. Oh, really? Wow. And so we did. And that's been just over a year now. So she's 19. No. Wow. So interesting. Like all of your kids, just <laughs> very interesting, different journeys for how you ended up, you know, mom-child relationship, parent-child mm -hmm. relationship with them. Very interesting. Okay. I want to find out more specifically about the work that you do and about your podcast. Let's take one more break and we'll be right back. Welcome back. We are talking to Rachel Mans. Okay, so you're a doula mm -hmm. and you're a childbirth educator and mm -hmm. you do spinning babies mm -hmm. and you have a podcast. Let's talk about each one of these separately. So what do you see your role as as a doula? As a so I'm a birth doula specifically. I do not do postpartum care because I don't want to go do the same work I do at home all day in somebody else's house. That makes sense. <laughs> but as a birth doula, one of my biggest goals is educating moms leading up to the birth. So I do that through two prenatal visits. I do have an online at your own pace natural birth education class through my website that I give all of my clients. That can be bought separately too. But I give that to all of my clients and I heavily focus on education and specifically, you know, all of the ins and outs of labor, how that might work, all of the variations of normal, things like that. But then I heavily focus on mental preparation for birth with my clients. Ooh. Mental prep is huge. You know, you always hear like, learn the comfort measures, learn, you know, hip squeezes, whatever. And those are great. And those are so, so helpful. But in my opinion, and in my experience, labor is a mind game. And, you know, largely a mind game. And so, so much of it is the mental prep that's going into the labor, preparing for everything, and just getting in the right headspace for that. And then we do the physical prep also. So we do the hip squeezes, we do the, you know, all of those different techniques that you can learn for physical comfort measures. And then I also go through a lot of the spinning baby stuff. You know, I always tell them that in these modern day lives, we don't live in a way that's conducive to like good pelvic health, really. Like, you know, we sit a lot, we're stagnant so often. And so a lot of the exercises and movements that I teach them help with a lot of that too and can really then help their birth to go a little bit better, maybe help avoid a C-section, maybe help avoid an epidural, maybe just help make them a little bit more comfortable, things like that. And how about if they want those things? I rarely get someone to hire me specifically who does want those things. I think just because of the way I advertise, I guess. I mean, I think it's more common for people to hire doulas if they want a natural birth. But I do sometimes have people hire me if they do want an epidural or they do want a C-section. And then again, it's the mental prep for all of that because there's a whole other side of things that we have to prepare for mentally 
Uh, it's making sure they have all the education they need, potential side effects, potential options, potential risks and things like that. And then still a lot of it is also preparing for postpartum, which, you know, no matter what kind of birth you have, you have a postpartum period that you need yep. to prepare for. Since your clients tend to lean more natural, do you find yourself taking on an advocacy role? I do. Yes. So I try not to be the direct advocate because I have no relationship to that baby you know, no legal relationship to that baby. So I more so encourage the parents and teach the parents how to become advocates. I want them to be able to speak up for themselves. So we do practice scenarios in prenatal visits also, you know, how to say no to a care provider or how to ask more questions, anything like that. And then in the moment, I prep my clients to speak for themselves. So usually it's dad. It's been very rare that I've had to specifically speak up for a client because well, again, I try not to do that. You help them have their own voice. Yes. Okay. You do spinning babies. Mm -hmm. Tell me about what spinning babies is and what's your role with it. Spinning babies is a wonderful system. It's a series of movements that help create comfort and pregnancy and ease and labor is their kind of slogan. I guess I, you would call it. It's exercises and movements. There's daily movements that you can learn. And there's the three balances, which are three specific movements, two of which are developed by a chiropractor. And then one of which I can't remember who it's developed by, but they create balance within the body and they help your body to be balanced and nicely aligned so that your baby has plenty of space to get into their best position for birth. And when baby's in a good position for birth, it helps the birth to have what they call ease. We're not promising an easy labor. We're not promising a quick labor, but we are saying that usually these movements have been shown to help the labor be maybe easier than it would have been if you weren't using them. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense if you have a more functional space, mm -hmm. then you'll have a more functional experience. Yeah. So is that something you do separate from doula and childbirth education or do you incorporate spinning babies? For the most part, I incorporate it, but I do sometimes teach a three-hour spinning babies parent education class for in, Ooh, in person wow. usually. All right. And finally, you have your own podcast, yes. the Natural Birth Podcast. When did you start that? What's your mission with it? And what are the episodes like? So it's the Natural Birth Talk. I wanted to call it the Natural Birth Podcast, but there's actually... A podcast called that already oh really okay yeah. it's so, the natural birth talk yes <laughs> but we talk about all things we largely focus on natural birth but we do you know natural pregnancy topics natural postpartum topics the goal is to just make sure that women have all of the information available to them so we do a lot of evidence-based information and talk about that but we also talk about a lot of traditional topics or maybe topics that haven't been studied very often but there's anecdotal type evidence or there's you know historical or traditional evidence like maybe it's something that's been used for centuries but just hasn't been studied you know things like that and so i try to get on experts and people who have used you know whatever topic is or know a lot about the topic and we just chat for 20 to 30 minutes in hopes that we get to empower a lot of women and you know help them to know all of their options because dr berlin i'm sure you know that a lot of care providers only like to give the options they're comfortable with Sure. It's somewhat human. We all have choices to make. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think as anybody in healthcare wants to do the best for their clients, mm-hmm. but also sometimes you just like driving have to practice defensive medicine and mm-hmm. other things like that. And for those reasons, sometimes choices are not fully put on display the way they could be. Yeah. Well, and I think there's a lot of lack of knowledge out there too. You know, I like to say moms give birth in huts every day. And that's not to say that I think you should go give birth in a hut. But it's just to kind of allude to the fact that there are a lot of cultures out there that are very comfortable with birth. You know, maybe the children grow up around birth because it's kind of a village affair or like a neighborhood affair, you know. In a lot of cultures, the young women are there helping and support the mom in birth. And when that happens, there's a lot more knowledge around birth. There's a lot less fear around birth. But then when birth is moved into a hospital, like it was over 100 years ago, we lost a lot of that learning, that life experience. And I think when we lost that, we lost a lot of that knowledge. Like, you know, a lot of care providers, they're trained with what their college trains them, their university trains them, and they're not necessarily trained or aware of a lot of the other options out there. And so sometimes it's not that they don't tell you about it because they're trying to hold it back. Sometimes they just really don't know. Yeah, truth. I mean, it's amazing that you're out there educating not just your local community, but the sort of parenting community worldwide. Trying. Rachel, thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing your many personal parenting (laughs) stories. They're all quite interesting, and I'm sure you learned a lot from each one, and now we have two. Yeah. And for all the resources that you have available, you mentioned you have childbirth education online. Yep. And obviously the Natural Birth Talk podcast. So where can we find you online? On Instagram at the Natural Birth Site and on Facebook at the Natural Birth Site. But my website is thenaturalbirthsite.com. So it's super simple. Perfect. Yeah, it's super simple. It's super straightforward, kind of like my personality. (laughs) Um, And then I do have a YouTube channel also. It's at the Natural Birth Show on YouTube. And it has a lot of birth videos and birth pictures and things like that, birth stories that can be really inspiring also. Oh, it's nice. I find people don't usually have any exposure until they're giving birth themselves. So Yeah, yeah, I was one of them. Yeah. So it's nice that there's slices you can sort of go see what birth looks like that's not overly dramatized for a TV or a movie or a newspaper headline. Thanks again. And to our listeners, thanks for listening. And if you'd like to find us online, visit informedpregnancy.com. I got